0: Before we start, I, uh, you know, I watched most of everything you sent me. I gotta tell you, it didn't put me in a good mood, this
1: guy. Some topics should only be handled by a comedian.
0: That's a load of baloney.
1: I'm Andy Pellin, and this is No Joke. This series is brought to you by Twenty Eight. My guest, Patty Fitzgerald, does not hold back. She gives her blunt feedback about our episode where I interviewed a convicted child molester, and she gives some great tips on how to protect our kids. But this episode is definitely not for kids to listen to. It's for mature audiences only.
0: Okay. I am Patty Fitzgerald. I founded a company 20 years ago called Safely Ever After, and I go to schools and community events uh, teaching child sexual abuse prevention education. So I have created curriculum for children and for parents and run workshops and uh, events helping to spread the word about how we can prevent children from being sexually abused
1: in the first place. You've watched the interview with Gershon. What do you think is driving? Why do you think he made the video? What do you think his motive is?
0: I think from, from my interpretation is that he thinks this is going to redeem him somehow and that he's coming across as the hero and um, no, nothing could be further from the truth, so uh, I'm sorry to say, but I, I think he's getting his 15 minutes of fame, and I think he's enjoying that, and I think that was evident in some of the things that he said, how he responded or did not respond to certain questions that you asked, and, uh, and also just a physical presence, a smile, or a, 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 a sort of a smirk, which uh, is evident as soon as I started watching the first interview with them. So,
1: do you think that it's it's a bad idea to to give him the fifteen minutes of fame?
0: I think that the I, I think it's fine that you are interviewing him and that he's on camera and you're showing the actual face of what a child predator looks like. Um, particularly for the, you know, the religious community. The problem I had with the interviews was I thought he was painting a, or, or trying to paint a very sympathetic picture of himself. And I think the average parent who doesn't know about the trauma of childhood sexual abuse may feel sorry for him and and that this is going to water down a little bit. What I wanted to hear out of him was more remorse. I heard a lot of victim blaming. I heard a lot of community blaming. He, I heard him blame his parents. Um, I did not, I, I and I heard him say in a very matter of fact tone, I apologize, but that was pretty much his stance. I apologize, but he didn't even say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I did not realize the trauma. And there, there, there's no recognition still. Intellectually, he knows he screwed up. Intellectually, he went to that rehab place um, I don't think emotionally he owns it yet. You know, there, there was a lot of stuff in there that I was like, how, how dare he say that? And how dare he, how dare he even insinuate that? And you're and, talking
1: about like, uh, when he talked about his, his wife, not satisfying him, him properly. His stuff w- like that.
0: Yes. His wife, not satisfying him. That has nothing to do with being attracted to children. There are plenty of people who are maybe in physically unsatisfying marriages, but they're not attracted to children and act out those impulses on children within their own community and within their own family. So that's a load of baloney. He sort of flippantly just said, you know, well, I'm always going to have this attraction to children. And, and I, don't think there was enough real acknowledgement of that by him, and uh, I would have liked to hear more of. I have been attracted to children. I cannot control my impulses. This is what I do, and how I do it. And I, he just he danced around the issue an awful lot. So I, I'm not sure. You that, think he's still? I know what you're trying. You to, think
1: that he's still active?
0: absolutely i think he would be active if he gets a chance i think he uh he'll he'll he would be a little more selective but he he's still victim blaming he's blaming a six-year-old who didn't say no he's blaming a another victim who you know didn't say anything so i didn't know it was traumatizing her and and uh so, without any real understanding of the trauma, intellectually he knows that it is not okay. But I don't think he has an, any real understanding of it, and because of that, I do think he would still be, a, uh, under the right circumstances, yes, he would still be a threat to
1: children. So you wouldn't send, you wouldn't come to the shul with with your kids if he attended the shul. Absolutely not. I sat with him for a long time. And like, he really gives off uh, that impression that I am done and that is in the past, but you're not buying that. No, sir. I would love it to be true. And
0: he may want it to be true, but um, I I don't, I just don't think he's there yet.
1: You're not a, as you said, you're you're more on the victim side of it. Have you ever uh, spoken to an actual molester before to kind of get inside their head? Yes, and has it been like a similar situation to this?
0: No, in other uh interviews and talking to other predators, child molesters um there was there was no sense of haughtiness there was a the tone of their questions was uh, or their answers was much more remorseful and not... The reason I, I, I say I don't think he is safe or rehabilitated is because the manner in which he answered questions. I am the first person in the world who wants to believe somebody is rehabilitated or at least acknowledges where what, what they're at. Um, I just saw a lot of passing the buck there. And when I see passing the buck, I see a predator who is still a risk.
1: You see the results of the abuse a lot. And so when, when you see, uh, someone that committed this horrible, horrible abuse that, that really like, uh, either slowly kills people or kills their, you know, takes out their soul. Exactly. It, uh, it, it brings up a lot of rage within you. I, I feel it.
0: It does because I think it is preventable. And that's why I get frustrated sometimes, because kids don't have to get sexually abused. There is a way to keep your children safe. There is a way to make sure that they grow up healthy and not touched inappropriately and, and with healthy boundaries and, and respected. This is not rocket science. This is common sense. This is parenting. This is having some specific language that we use with other adults, and with our children.
1: What is a message you you have for Gershon? What would you tell him? Me personally? Yeah.
0: What would I? I would say, Gershon, you walk the walk, you talk the talk, but I'm not buying what you're selling yet. And I'd love to see you do more real soul searching and rehabilitation. But right now, I would not want you involved with children in any way in my, in my school, in my community.
1: What about his family? He has, uh, five kids, a wife. What would I say to them? Mm-hmm.
0: I would say, I'm so sorry that this has happened to your family because it's tra- traumatic and damaging on many levels, As a married couple, as a family unit, I'm so sorry that you have been dealing with this. You've done nothing wrong. And I really don't believe that the family should be ostracized in any way. So I would say to the family, you know, you still belong, but it's really important that you're aware that Gershon has admitted that he has this attraction and to children, and that you are not blindly fooled or blindly thinking that, well, now he's okay. He didn't mean it. He's sorry. This will never happen again, and it's no big deal. I, I would say to the wife and the children, unfortunately, you still have to be on guard and be very uh, mindful
1: and for his wife, after what he said, I'm sure she feels some, some responsibility for this. So what would you say to her?
0: Did you just see? I, well, <clears throat> my face probably said a lot right there. Um, Mendy, m- when I was listening to this, my heart broke for for his wife because she did absolutely nothing wrong She is not responsible in any way. She could have been the kind of wife who physically satisfied her husband every single day and night. And it would have made no difference. He would still do what he had done. And that's like me saying, well, I know I'm married to a bank robber. So I'm just not going to let him go to the bank with me or I'm just not going to drive by banks with him because if I do, then it's my fault that he robs the bank. I don't know that that's a great analogy, but what I'm saying is it's not her fault and uh, and she is not responsible for his behavior.
1: And it's a particularly tough situation because I'm I'm sure there's a lot of of responsibility and guilt if I don't satisfy him. Then who know? Then then I'm responsible. Who knows what he can do? So I have to do everything that he wants so that uh, some kid in Wyoming is safe.
0: Yeah, and and then you get into this whole idea of of consent and you know what this intimate relationship between a, a husband and a wife really is or should be. Uh, you know, if you feel under duress to satisfy your partner at, a, at the drop of a hat or else the world is gonna blow up, that's not exactly um, a healthy, loving, marital, intimate relationship. And they're still gonna act out because of some other reason.
1: Yeah. He says that he's attracted to kids. So, uh, well, but you know, and then he, then he's like, well, any kind of body, you know, bodies, any kind of body. That's
0: right. Um, it's not really about the sex. It is, it's connected to the sexual act because that's how the release comes for him. But it's also about the power, the manipulation, the narcissistic needs that his needs are more important than anybody else's, whether it's his wife or a child, everything about what he said was My needs were so important, so it didn't matter if it was a boy, if it was a girl, it was a body. He said he objectified them and didn't even see them as people. You know, it could have been uh, a piece of furniture for all he cared. I do appreciate that he said that. I do think that is a very, very important thing for parents to hear. There, you know, there were times when he he said things that I said, yes, exactly. This is what parents need to know. He didn't lie through the whole thing. He did speak the truth. He did shed light on how Predator uh, works and thinks. I just, um, I'm just not buying that he's here to save the day from the rest of the pedophiles of the world. I'm sorry. I seem harsh about it.
1: No, 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 no. That That's what I love. That's what I love about you. You say it like it is. <laughs> and that is what we need to, to protect our kids. I'll give you an example uh, that just happened yesterday morning. I, uh, I dropped my kid off onto the bus, the school bus, and um, sitting in his seat was a, probably a 55 year old man. I don't know. You know if he was getting a lift or what the story was, but my son, he's five. He stands and folds his arm. He waits, and the guy's like, "Oh, is this your seat?" And in, and the my son's like, "Yes." And so he gets up. My son sits down, and then he sits right next to him. So, um, you know, I went on that bus. It was very uncomfortable, and I told the driver and I told the man I'm not comfortable with you sitting next to my kid. A a kid is supposed to sit next to my kid on the bus, not an adult. That's right. He's like, why? What's it? I was like, no, my kid doesn't feel comfortable. He's not going to say anything. And so that's why I'm going to say something.
0: And And, um,
1: and, and you got to be uncomfortable. You got to be straight up. Even if it's uncomfortable, you got to be straight up when it's protecting your kids. You do.
0: It it is going to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to confront another person and say, I'm uncomfortable with you. I don't, you know, you're basically saying there's a trust issue here. Get away from my kid. Um, But here's the thing. As a parent, if we don't step in and do that for our kids, they won't learn how to do it for themselves as they grow and mature, we're also teaching our children, ignore your feelings, ignore your instincts because somebody else's uh, feelings and, and, and their comfortability, their, their feelings are more important. That's not the approach a parent should take. So I applaud you for doing what you did. I'm sure it had to be incredibly hard. This is a school bus?
1: Yeah, school bus.
0: The, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not even public transportation. This is not, you know, the typical subway or bus ride that lots of, of people ride on every day and share with school kids. This is a school bus. Okay, so I don't know why the 55 year old man needed a lift and a ride on the school bus. But if that were the case, then he should be sitting up in front next to the driver or standing, but not engaging with the kids. Just because that's simply not what you do.
1: Yeah. 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 I I actually, I didn't have the courage at first. Like the bus started driving away and then I started running after the bus and I stopped the bus.
0: Good for (laughs) you. that's how we are. We're like, it's as if we are on a seven second delay and it takes a a few seconds for our brain to think, wait a minute, I need to say something. I need to do something. I need to take an action. And and so you did. And I, I think, wow, what a great dad. One of the things that I teach in my parent workshops, because it is hard to confront or say something, I have a sort of scripted, stock answer that I give to parents to sort of break the ice and say what you need to say. And I have used this in many different scenarios for all kinds of reasons. The script is, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm just not comfortable with you sitting next to my son. So I'm gonna ask you to sit somewhere else. And it's a very specific script. You wanna break the ice? You're gonna think I'm crazy with my little parent smile. You're gonna think I'm crazy, but, and then you state your fact without blame or judgment. You didn't say, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I think you're a molester. You say, "Uh, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I am not comfortable with you sitting next to my child, so I'm going to ask you to move. And then I always end it with, I'm sure you understand, which they may or may not. But the kicker for this is a safe, intelligent, caring adult, even if they disagree with your boundary, will say, okay, your kid sorry, I crossed a boundary as far as you're concerned, but they move. But when I start hearing it, and I'm not saying that the man that was sitting next to your son was a a predator, but when I hear all the excuses of, oh my God, I can't believe you're not gonna let me sit here. I talk to the kids all the time. You know, you're you're overprotective, you're overdoing it. What kind of parent are you teaching your child to be afraid of of adults and and you know, sort of digging their heels in that they're not going to move and and they don't care if you're uncomfortable or the child is uncomfortable. When I hear that, that is my cue to repeat my script until this person Here's what I'm saying.
1: And I think that if they do keep on going and opposing what you're saying, that will give you more strength to to stick to the script.
0: That's true. That's true. It does give you more strength It, it because it gives you that, that impetus to go, geez, this person really isn't getting it. And, you know, we're talking about a kid here. You know, read the room, buddy. I mean... It's it's just—it's mind-boggling to me where uh, adults will get so insulted and indignant, and get their feelings hurt because a child is uncomfortable, or they have to make an adjustment for the sake of a a child. You know, I've seen that—I see that a lot in a lot of adults. (laughs) They're not necessarily predators, but it's time we start putting the kids first. What's so hard about that?
1: It's your job. It's a it's a parent's job to parent's be uncomfortable job. and thank you.
0: It is the parent's job. Kids should not have to protect themselves from sexual abuse all on their own. It is a parent's job first to be smart about access, privacy, Physical boundaries. And I will say that in his interview, Gershon did address that. He did use the words access, um, privacy. He did use the example of, you know, being extremely physical, Uh, not just a little touch on the shoulder, but being extremely physical with a child in front of parents or whatever, to the point where he said, it, if you were looking at it, it had to have looked weird. That That's a huge um, red flag in terms of uh, predator behavior. So I, I do give him credit for telling the truth about that.
1: Is that, is that a, a, a usual grooming tactic where
0: Absolutely. they like
1: test their limits?
0: Absolutely. So maybe
1: you could explain that a little bit.
0: Yes. Well, predators in interviews have said if they want to do something inappropriate to a child, it's going to take grooming. It's going to take a few steps. It's going to be a gradual process because first they have to test the waters. So there is a lot of shoulder rubbing and and foot massages and the thigh rubbing or constant what we call accidental touching games where it's constant tickling or wrestling and it's it's excessive it's not just the normal oh let here and I give you a squeeze and a hug it is excessive and If a predator sees that a child's not gonna be able to say no or stop, or the parents are in the room and they see it and they allow this physical attention to continue, then the predator knows the kid's not gonna be able to say anything. The parents are letting this slide. Even if they're uncomfortable, they're not saying anything. And so what happens is, the predator then takes that touch a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further and and he was gershom very forthcoming in saying that was one of the ways that he groomed his victims he started with a lot of excessive rubbing on the thighs and then he moved on to uh touching the child under their garments
1: so if if the adult that was there the parent that was there would have trusted their gut that you know this is cuz he did say one time he was questioned about it
0: and i think he said it was his wife who said is this behavior okay yeah and that's basically yeah. asking you know and i feel sorry for her she she knew what answer she wanted to hear so she fed him a question is this okay of course he's going to say yes yes it's fine it's fine the, it is not a question if I see somebody rubbing on my kid's legs uh, excessively, what comes out of my mouth is not, is this okay that you're doing that? My, my statement is, this is not okay, so I need you to stop. I could use my mm. script. Gershon. you're gonna think I'm crazy, but this is not okay, this touching, so I'm gonna ask you to stop, I'm sure you understand.
1: I'm sure you understand.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of a passive aggressive dig, but but it tells you a lot about when that person responds to you. I'm sure you understand, because if they really don't or they start making you feel very guilty about your boundary, then, you know, you've got a problem and you're going to have to stay, stay uh, true to your uh, boundaries there and and to your child.
1: So basically, the the predator tests the water between the the uh, the guardian and also with the kid to see if the kid has uh, any tools to to know what's going on to stop it, as yes. well as if the parents have anything. Exactly uh,
0: that 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 was the whole purpose of safely ever after was it's a it's a two pronged approach. The parents do the heavy lifting in terms of teaching and protecting their children and keeping their kids safe by limiting access, by paying attention to red flag warning signs, by setting boundaries. But the other part of that is teaching our child that it's okay to say no, even to somebody who is an adult in their family, an authority figure, that they have permission to say that. Because if a kid doesn't know they have permission to say that, they're—it's almost like they're just deer caught in the headlights. They're just like, okay, this doesn't feel right, but I don't know what to say. Nobody ever told me what to do, and you know, Uncle Creepy starts doing this to my legs, and if—and if he's a grown-up, uh, I guess I have to let this slide and well, gee, my mom and my dad are right there and they're seeing this, so I guess this is okay. If I hear my child say to what I call Uncle Creepy, hey, Uncle Creepy, you're not supposed to do that, or hey, Uncle Creepy, stop wrestling me, stop rubbing my legs. As As a parent, if I hear my child saying that, then the next thing out of my mouth should be, hey, Uncle Creepy, my child just told you to stop. I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but we're both telling you to stop. I'm sure you understand.
1: I think God gives us a gut feeling. Gut in Yiddish means God, you know, and you get a gut feeling uh, sent to you by God that something is off. And a lot of times we dismiss it. And kids, I think, are even more dialed into it. So if you see that your kid is feeling a little bit out of it, you know, that's take that e- as a cue. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. Um, as a teacher, I teach kids to listen to that inner voice in their brain or their heart. And I think parents need to to teach kids listen to that that little that little brain or that little heart message that's saying, "Ooh." I don't like this, this is uncomfortable. My uh uh-oh feeling, which is our instinct, my uh uh-oh feeling is saying, I don't want this kind of thigh rubbing. And I think it's important that we teach our kids in all different aspects uh, as we're raising them to listen to your instinct, because if you deny it enough in yourself or in your children, it will stop kicking in. The instinct, that gut feeling, you will keep second guessing it and you will not trust it and you will start completely ignoring it. So as a parent, if I'm going to educate a parent, that's how I would tell, tell a parent to uh, teach a kid to start listening to their instinct. I, you know, you can't say to a five year old, listen to your instinct. But you can tell your child at five years old that they're very important and they have the right to say stop when something feels yucky. And if I start that teaching that child that language at five, when my child gets to be 12 years old, I can expand on that. I can uh, extend that, I can take that into a, uh, you know, a, a more mature 12 year old conversation,
1: building that muscle that yeah. your voice matters yeah. uh, to identify your voice. And when you say something that you don't like, it's respected, no yes. matter what it is, whether it's uh, a food, you said that, you know, if it's a, if there's a relative that says, come give me a hug and the kid doesn't want to, you spell oh, my, my, my kid doesn't want to.
0: Yeah you know a lot of
1: a lot of parents get embarrassed. come on, it's your it's your Bobby, it's your aunt. give him a hug. yep,
0: and all that teaches or reinforces with the child is somebody else's feelings are more important, and I do not have any sort of autonomy or say in what what happens to my body. The other part about that is if there is another family member who sees that the parent says to their child, go give give grandma a hug, give her a hug, come on, come on. That predator who's looking on and notices it says, ah, there's there's a possible target. The child doesn't have permission to say no to touches. The parent is feeling guilty about stepping in. A predator thinks, I can work with this. This is an in for grooming. One of the things that I think parents need to do is, is put out a vibe that they're not an easy target because predators are looking very specifically at who they can target and who they better let go. Who a molester doesn't necessarily molest every single child that they come in contact with. They're very specific. They watch your family dynamic. They watch your parenting style. They watch the way you communicate with your child. And then they decide, is this is this a safe bet for me, the predator? Is this a is this a target where I'm going to get away with it?
1: It's kind of like the club in the olden days. You remember the club on the steering wheel? Exactly. Of the car?
0: Exactly.
1: So it's, yeah, they, uh, for those that are not familiar with it, it's this big metal thing that you can't really turn the steering wheel when it's on it. And people used to put it on so that when someone is looking to steal a car, they look at the car and they'll pass the cars because it's just, it's a pain to have to deal with that.
0: Exactly, it's too much trouble. It's that, you know, if I really wanted to get through that bar, if I really wanted to get through that kid, maybe I could, but I don't need to work that hard as a predator. I don't need to work that hard as a car thief. If I see that there is a boundary in place or that club is on the steering wheel, I just go to the next car or the next child. So that so that's too. actually so, quite
1: brilliant, Mendy. Hey. <laughs> thank you. Well, i I learned from the best, and and I just want to point out that as a parent, I think if you follow these rules, you know, you kind of channel that that you are your kids' protector, you are your kids' advocate, um, and also enabling your kids that what they say their feelings are taken seriously and respected their boundaries are taken seriously and respected if you if if you have those things built into your parenting you will have healthy well-rounded kids
0: yes and a kid in that general. trusts their parent and communicates with them and and that is so vital because if we haven't created that sense of trust um, and, and conversation with our, in the dynamic of our, our, our parenting of our, cho- our children, then that's what happens. A kid doesn't tell us or a kid um, doesn't trust that their their needs are safe with you. And it starts at an early age. And so it is, as you said, it's a, it's a parenting style that crosses a lot of different areas of of uh your child's life, you know, they simply
1: trust that you're going to hear them. You started off saying that you are a sexual abuse child prevention education. educator. I think you are a parenting educator just reminding parents and educators yeah. if they if they actually do what's their job what what is proper and healthy, yeah. then a, a side effect will be that the kid will be less likely to be uh, abused and uh, exactly.
0: I love as how simple you, as that. I love how you frame things. Yes, a side effect is you're going to have a kid that's not uh, a target of a predator and has a sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Yeah, that, that's pretty good side effect to have. So I love how you put things, Mandy.
1: So in, in Gershon's story, when he says that the six-year-old freezed up and, you know, that made him think, wait a second, my victim has an experience as uh, in this as well. And he said that that's what caused him to stop with that particular victim. What could have, what could have the parents of that child, what could have they have done, A, to arm that child so that, that they'd be less likely to freeze up and also that they would be more likely to come and tell them after the first time, because it seems like it was a repeated thing in a private area? Yeah.
0: Well, yes, that's, and that's exactly what happens is the child freezes up and goes, thinks, what's happening? What's happening? Um, what the parent can do, and again, it's a, it's a parenting process. It's a parenting style. But if a parent has taught their child that there are certain Body parts that are just off limits to anybody besides, you know, the doctor in terms of touches. Uh, if we've taught that to our kids and then it happens to our kids, our kids recognize it. They might still freeze for a second, but they recognize this is not okay and they lo- have learned that they have permission to say, stop. They've also learned from the parent that they have permission to go tell the parent and that they can come and tell us anytime they're not even sure if it's a thumbs down touch and you, you're going to listen to them, you're going to hear them. We actually have to teach kids that we're going to listen their, to their secrets or their, their uh-oh feelings that, that they can tell us. One of the things I tell parents, tell your kid that they can dump everything on you because um, we, we expect children to instinctively know this, like you'll hear it very often. Well, if this was really happening to little Johnny, he would have said something. We're a very close family. He would have come and told us that, that Uncle Creepy was doing something. So um, this can't be true. And the fact is they don't just instinctively know, uh-oh, I think I'm being abused now. I will go tell my mother or my father when it's all over. That is not how it works. so parents are very often shocked when they say, I can't believe the abuse of my child has been going on for three years, four years, five years. Why didn't he say anything to me? It's usually because the child was never taught that it is okay to say something. If a child says it right after the first time, the trauma is going to be significantly different. The healing is going to be significantly different. It's like I can't give you the keys to my car and say drive the car if you haven't taken driving lessons first. You have to be taught, and this scares parents, and uh, or they don't know how to teach their child, or or they're they're afraid that they're going to um, use some sort of scary have to use a scary story, and so a lot of times parents just don't do the education or the conversations that they should be doing and having. So
1: if, a, if God forbid, a, uh, a kid comes to a parent and says, hey, someone touched me inappropriately. What is the best response to give that kid? Because a parent could freeze up easily.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it it's going to be startling and, and upsetting. Um, the whole point is very calmly. You say to your child, wow, I'm so glad you're telling me about that. Tell me more. I'll handle it. You can go freak out a half hour later in your bedroom or bathroom and scream and yell and carry on, but not in front of the child. So in front of the child, you look like i Very glad you're telling me this, how brave of you. Yes, it does sound like somebody else was breaking our our touching rules. Yes, it does sound, tell me more, who, what, when, where. You can ask those type of questions, but you're, you're remaining in control. If you look like you're out of control, your child will either take it as they did something wrong or they'll start recanting everything because you look out of control and they didn't want to upset you and they're just going, oh, I, I just made it all up. I just made it all up. And then a parent will find that very easy to go, oh, okay, see, they, they made it all up. Nothing happened. And abuse goes on and on and on in those uh,
1: situations. So I think that this goes back to parenting that if, if your child tells you anything that that is, uh, that would freak you out or anything that would get you upset, um, you should have this approach and- Exactly. And, and like this, even even if it's a less significant thing, by, uh, it, it'll encourage them.
0: You're exactly right, Mendy. If, if my kid can't come to me and tell me that she's uh, spilled the milk, or that she didn't do well on a test, she sure as heck isn't gonna to come to me and tell me that her soccer coach or her her uh, family relative was inappropriate.
1: And, and again, it's not it's not about being manipulative so that if a kid is abused one day that they will tell you it's it's to have healthy kids.
0: Exactly. Exactly. to have healthy kids that know that their bodies are respected, that learn to respect other people's bodies because that's, you know, also a component um, is that we're teaching boundaries with other people, including friends and relatives and younger people. I mean, it's, it's all connected.
1: Yeah. In terms of teaching the kids about proper touch, Obviously, everything's age uh, appropriate. I, uh, I've read m- your book many times to my younger kids. And like, would you say it, 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 you should look for opportunities in life or uh, should you sit down and have a formal or should you do, do both? What, 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 what would you recommend?
0: I always recommend your first approach, Mendy, that um, you find teachable moments. You're on the way to the park should go to the swimming pool. You may bring up the topic of body, uh, privacy, body modesty, um, and safe touches. Um, you might bring up the idea of, you know, no, no secrets about, you know, you're going to be going and changing in front of, of other kids. You know, if anybody says, Oh, don't tell your mom, we're all doing some, you know, it, that's the time to tell to talk to the child about it. And it's all so I say, find an organic moment or a teachable moment and reinforce or teach it with with love and smiles and an empowering feeling, as opposed to you're going swimming now, you're going to be at the pool in a few minutes, and this is what you got to know. I've often said this, I'm not going to teach my child how to cross the street when I'm putting her to bed. I'm going to say something about looking both ways when we cross the street, when we're about to cross the street.
1: What could people do? First of all, let's start with, you know, what resources you you have, what kind of books, what can people, what could parents and educators do? to really up their game?
0: Well, I think the first thing is that parents need to educate themselves on what they need to do to keep themselves safe from, or their children safe from a Gershon. So I think that, that parents need to really understand what this, what this issue really is about and what it does look like. So for that, again, I will say, uh, Gershon's Conversation um, certainly brings that to light—that he's putting a face to the abuse. But I, I, I think what's most important is that parents really understand it and what the proactive steps are, and that those are in parenting books, there on different websites, including my own. There are a lot of parenting coaches um, there are ways for parents to learn how to how to recognize these red flags and these warning signs they're ahead of time there are ways for parents to learn how to how to recognize grooming and and stop it before it moves on to sexual abuse So I think the first part is educa- parents getting educated being willing to be educated and then, talking to our kids in child-friendly, effective ways that make sense. That's why I wrote two children's books, Super Duper Safety School and No Trespassing, This Is My Body, because I think we have to introduce the dialogue and the language to our children in a kid-friendly, safe, empowering way. But we can't do that as parents until we understand really understand the topic, the issue. So parents first, kids second,
1: in terms of yeah, education. And and for those parents that are listening to this, you know, while they're doing laundry or while they're driving or while they're doing exercise, and when this is over, they have uh, work and they have all these things to attend to, and they're not going to follow up. What is something that you can give them in three minutes that could actually save their kid? Great question. No pressure.
0: Great. Nope, no pressure, because I have a very specific thing that I tell parents. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Pay attention to who is paying attention to your child. I'll say it again. Pay attention to who's paying attention to your child. What does that attention look like? And do you need to intervene? Do you need to recognize something? So, if that's all you can remember or get from this podcast, then, then, then that's a good, a good start. And um, tell parents to take the blinders off and, and sadly accept the reality that child predators are 90% of the time People we know, people we trust, and, and family or community members. I don't want to sound like a commercial for my work, but there's a lot of information that parents can learn just by reading my website, safelyeverafter.com. There are other websites. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has some very good uh, parenting um, information and, and, uh, tips and strategies. So, you know, the, the information is out there.
1: Yeah, it's definitely out there. And, and even if you're thinking like, okay, this is not a Hasidic, uh, religious Jewish website, but this is not a religious Jewish problem. This is a, this is a problem that every community has. And and as parents, we got to tackle it. You know.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and you know, it is, it is prevalent in a lot of different religions and cultures.
1: Would you say there's a lot of Gershans out there?
0: Absolutely. I don't want to, I don't want parents to walk away from this podcast and go, oh my goodness, everybody's a molester. What are we going to do? Close the blinds down. But I think, yes, there are a lot of child predators in our midst who look for certain opportunities. And I, 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 you know, and there are also a lot of lovely adults who uh, like children and would never even think about abusing a child. So I don't want to paint with such a broad broad stroke uh, brush that everybody's a molester, but in the work that I have done, I've done this for 20 years. I haven't done a, a, a seminar or workshop yet with parents where at least a few parents afterwards didn't come up to me and say, Oh my goodness, this happened to me when I was younger. It was prevalent then, it is prevalent now. And, you know, while I don't think we have to look at every single person as, Oh my goodness, uh, are they a molester? I do think that we have to be open to the idea and the knowledge that, yeah, they walk amongst us.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, for educating, going on a jihad to protect our kids. And uh, do you think that this is disrespectful to the topic that a comedian is uh, interviewing doing the interviewing?
0: No, actually, I, uh, I I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to tell you, um, you are more than a comedian, and so when you you're a documentary filmmaker, and I have seen you know your work, I think you do a disservice to yourself if you just say I'm 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 a comedian. I think I'm a comedian. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a religious a uh, Jewish parent. Um, and that's why I'm making this documentary and I'm a comedian. And so I'm going to approach um, it with a very matter of fact approach.
1: Yeah. It's definitely not about me. It's not about you. It's about the, the about parents really uh, owning their job about educators, owning their responsibilities. And, um, and we can, we can just, kind of light little fires and put a, put little cues. But I think parents really know in their gut what to do. We can help guide that gut, make, make that a little louder. Yep. But um, we're just, we're just trying to wave like, hello. Hello. Listen <laughs> exactly. to yourself. Exactly.
0: Hello. Hello. <laughs> I love that. Yes. That's exactly what we're doing.
1: Thanks so much for giving your time, Patty. You can order her book for your children, for yourself, and you can get a wealth of information on her website at safelyeverafter.com.